This is an ultimate global podcast. Hello, and welcome to our special weekly podcast on trending international and social affairs. You're listening to Saurabh Kora and George Mavros from Sydney. So good afternoon to one and all to this uh, exciting episode of Ultimate Global Podcast, uh, where we are joined with Professor Bradley Hastings. He's a researcher at UNSW Sydney, and uh, he's here to talk about this topic, which I'm sure he would have guided uh, to a lot of teams, student teams and other kind of teams in the university. And we are going to talk about the benefits of team-based working here. We know how important it is for the organizations to have productive teams so that they can achieve great results. And Professor Bradley actually teaches that to the students at the university level on the basis of his own experiences. So welcome to today's uh, podcast episode, Professor. Thank you, sir. It's a delight to be here. Thank you. So uh, to begin with, uh, how would you define a team-based working model as compared to uh, when there are not uh, when when a company is not having so many productive teams, what how how important that you read that yeah, in you know an organization achieving its goals? Well, it, I, teamwork is absolutely fundamental to an organization achieving its goals, and the simple reason for that is that um, life has just got a lot more complex. You know, if you uh, go back a hundred years. Uh, a bit over 100 years. I mean, Henry Ford, you know, invented the the production line for the Model T Ford. And, you know, that car had, I think, about 900 parts. And, um, you know, it was kind of conceivable back then that that one person could kind of wrap their head around all the all the production processes that were required to put that car together. I mean, it's sort of like a equivalent to a hobbyist today, you know, building a little kit model or something like that. You know, but today, you know, that's not the case. You know, a, a modern car has... 10,000 parts, sometimes even even more than that. And, you know, with that quantity of things to to think about, it's it's just inconceivable that one single person can wrap their head around everything that's going on. And so we need teams. We need to have a team of people, someone who's responsible for the engine, someone who's responsible for the paintwork, someone who's responsible for the interior. And those people, you know, take charge of the particular elements of, a, of an automobile, sticking with the analogy, and they work with each other so that it comes together. And you know that th- this theme of increased complex- complexity is just is common throughout the world. Everything is becoming more complex, and it's going to get more complex. Which means that how we work in teams and how we help teams become effective is just a, a crucial skill um, for humanity going forwards. Yep. Yeah, I think these are good points. But what do you think are some of the key components that really makes a good team? Some of the people can say that you should have good communication skills so that you don't have any misunderstandings or communication gaps while you are talking to each other. People can also say that uh, you should have a team which is giving regular feedback to each other. Importance of feedback to each other really uh, builds the confidence of the team members and also raises their performance level at every step. What are some of the components that you generally train to your students at UNSW? I've been your student, by the way, in that subject. Yes, I remember. I remember. Look, um, I think it's uh, 
just important to frame, you know, what we're looking for in a team. And you hit on two really important things, you know, communication and, and also feedback. You know, they're absolutely essential. But, you know, every team kind of wants them. But in doing so, you can't sort of, um, you can't just say to a team, I want you to be good communicators and I want you to give good feedback. Because uh, people sometimes don't like, you know, um, being told what to do. But another aspect is that um, there are some ingredients which create those environments. There are some ingredients that create environments where people communicate honestly and where, you know, effective communication is, is given. And I think, you know, in setting up effective teams, I, I would probably highlight three, three of those ingredients. So the, the first one is, is, is diversity, um, absolutely crucial. If you pick a team of your friends um, that are like-minded, um, come from the same backgrounds, think about the same thing, go to the same football games on the weekend and, and put them in a team, you're, you're likely to get the same way of thinking about a problem. Whereas if you put people from diverse backgrounds, uh, they're going to approach the problem from, from, from different perspectives. And when you get different perspectives on a problem, the, the options that you have in terms of going forwards just multiply. And that diversity precipitates debate it precipitates some conflict and conflict's actually a good thing uh, in teams, um, you know, to, to, a, to a certain extent, because through conflict and through debate, we actually resolve issues and we, we learn new things. So, so diversity is, is absolutely essential uh, for a team. I, I think the second ingredient is purpose. And the team needs to have a very clear direction of, of which way they're going. And purpose shouldn't be confused with a, with a goal. Um, a goal can sometimes be counterintuitive for a team because when you set a very targeted goal, you limit creative thinking because people are just thinking about how to reach the goal. They're not thinking about different ways or better ways of actually moving forwards. So purpose is really important to kind of align a team in a direction, but not too pointedly in that direction. You want to take people forwards. Uh, but not really say this is exactly where we need to go. So, you know, good leaders, and good teams uh, are able to articulate that purpose in some pretty simple language. You know, we're, we're, we're the team that improves customer service or, you know, we're the team that f is fixing this, this, this quality problem. And that you know, defines what they're doing. It defines their, their reason for being and it gives them a guideline for, for the way forwards. And I think the third ingredient um, is, is learning. And, you know, it's absolutely essential that, teams learn you know without learning we don't progress we don't we don't find out new things we don't do things differently and if we don't do things differently we don't get ahead of our competition right so and and how you structure teams and that's kind of linked with with the purpose one can have a huge effect on on whether people in those teams learn or not and it comes down to um you know carol dweck's work on the fixed and growth mindsets when you structure teams towards specific goals, you actually promote a fixed mindset. And fixed mindsets are associated with uh, lower degrees of collaboration, uh, less learning, more, more single-mindedness. Um, whereas when you set a purpose and set a learning goal um, and say, look, we're here to learn how to deliver better customer service, you create a growth mindset. And that, that mindset is, is allied with behaviors of openness, collaboration, feedback giving, what you mentioned earlier, um, and, um, and and coaching others uh, towards towards achieving that goal. So, yeah, so, you know, in some of these three things, I think, you know, diversity, 
uh, purpose and creating a learning environment uh, are absolutely essential um, to, to creating effective teams. And, and if you do that bit, you know, the communication will follow. Um, if you set the team up like that, they, they will communicate, even if sometimes that communication isn't, isn't perfect. Because you've got the right environment, you know, it might take someone a few minutes to explain what they mean, but they will get there because they'll be, they'll be listened to um, and people will be wanting to learn that person's opinion because it's essential to moving, uh, moving the team forwards. Yep. And I think diversity is so important for you, as you just pointed out, that if you have diverse teams, you will have different kinds of mindsets working on the same problem, bringing in different solutions. And that's where you start thinking beyond your own mindset and what you are thinking at the current time. One of the key elements that you just based upon is conflicts. And uh, I wanted to go in detail uh, on this one because um, I hear this a lot happening within the student community. When you start working in teams, there are team conflicts arising from little, little things. They can be related to scheduling meetings or setting up the right communication channel, being on the same page, delegation, you know, delegating the tasks amongst the team members. And I'm sure this kind of a thing also happens in organizations at larger levels which uh, really impacts the business growth of those companies. So any advice um, on the basis of your experience on what are the tactics or what are some of the strategies which teams can use to resolve team conflicts? Look, um, you know, you, you're absolutely right. And I think um, look, looking back on my own career, um, I, I can categorically say that some of the best teams I've ever worked in and the most high-performing teams that I've worked in have actually had also a huge degree of conflict. And, um, you know, this conflict plays out on a, a number of levels. And, you know, I, 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 you know, I can probably call many stories of some meetings where there was a lot of swearing flying across the table as, as because people had, had different views. And, but I think, you know, to embrace conflict, um, one of the things that always sort of underpinned those discussions is that people had respect of other people's opinions. And even though they didn't agree with what was being said, they had respect for that person. And I think that's really important to, to take, um, take the situation away from the underlying respect levels. And so, you know, so much conflict is often because people just, talk about things in different ways you know people use different words to describe things and so you know when someone has said one thing it's just been interpreted in a different way and, and you can do you can do two things you can either keep arguing or you can try and dig a bit deeper and find out what that person really means and so you know you've got to keep that underlying respect and you know the, the second um the second really important thing is don't take it personally yeah you know, if, if someone's got a different opinion to you, then, um, you know, come back to that growth mindset ideal. You know, a different opinion is an opportunity to learn. It's not a confrontation. It's not something, it doesn't mean that your opinion is not, no longer valid. It just means it's an opportunity uh, to learn something new. And and by, by approaching it in that way, not taking it personally, listening to the other people's opinion, trying to understand why they're saying that opinion, getting to the bottom of it, um, what usually happens is that you, you've got a better solution. Um, you know, I, I remember loads of examples. I used to work in a sales environment, you know, and I, I sometimes have a sales brain where I think of opportunities and I go, wow, we can do this and wow, we can do that. You know, and then there'd be people who are saying, well, how are we going to do that, Brad? And I'm like, well, 
it's simple. And they're like, well, no, it's not. So, you know, that tension that you have in a team between, you know, new ideas and, and how we're going to um, implement those ideas can create some conflict at times. But what happens as a result of that is, you know, the new ideas are not just ideas. They become things that can actually be implemented because we've had that discussion and we've fleshed them out. We've maybe toned down some of the ideas, but we've made them more believable. We've made them more achievable. Um, and that increases trust in, in, in the solution that we're presenting to clients. So I think if you can sort of park the confrontation, um, go with respect and, and not take it personally, um, then you'll be open to, to really making your solution and your ideas better. And, and that, that's what happens when, when conflict plays out. Yeah, that's true. You know how easy it can be just to be a good listener and a patient listener in a meeting rather than always talking, talking and talking. And a lot of people keep on saying that a lot of people in this market are good in speaking, but they don't know how to listen patiently. And if you can understand the art of listening, then probably a lot of conflicts can be resolved, isn't it? F fundamentally agree. I just just couldn't, couldn't agree more with that. I, I'd actually... Um advocate listening as a more important skill than speaking sometimes but um yes absolutely absolutely agree and uh yeah i think that's something that um you know we, we don't focus on you know we, we talk about effective teamwork being about communication and and we forget that part of communication is actually listening mm -hmm. and you know it's not about getting your ideas out there it, it's about getting your ideas out there in a way that connects with the existing ideas and so by listening to, to how people present their ideas and by incorporating those ideas into your ideas, uh, you can get uh, a much greater cohesiveness. You can get, get agreement. Um, and with agreement, you can, you can move forward. So, yeah, absolutely listening. Uh, very underrated listening. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, one of the other things uh, that I really wanted to ask you was uh, I've been working for a startup now for more than two and a half years in Sydney. Uh, as a you know marketing and sales specialist so one of the things that you really realize in a working in a startup that resources are quite limited um, so you will find more people who are not specialists but are generalists mm -hmm. you know they know a lot of things in their role so if there is a if there is a guy who is doing sales he might be doing multiple things at one time he mm -hmm. might be doing customer support sales marketing at one time uh, then if you are in the engineering team, there might be guys who might be doing several things at one time. There is always a good scope for you to learn from each other when you are working in that sort of a team, in a small team. But when you go to the large corporate teams, I'm sure that within those teams only, within the marketing team or sales team only, there is a lot of things to learn because mm -hmm. of those uh, uh, experienced and multicultural teams coming forward. So my question here is, how well you can utilize the strengths of each other while working in a team. Every team member has got a different strength. Um, and I think a team-based working model really gives you that idea or that um, opportunity to learn from each other because everybody is not good in everything. Some yep. people are good in painting. Some people are good in, um, you know, um, in terms of organization. Some people are good in engineering. Some people are good in marketing. Some people, uh, you know, can speak well. And so they can sell your product in a better way. So there is always something to learn from each other. How would you rate it uh, in that sense? Well, yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, um, it's there is always something to learn. I, I, I 
you know, from my own example, I do a lot of sailing and, um, you know, when you're uh, sailing overnight, um, you know, the, the most valuable team member isn't the person at the helm driving the boat. It's, um, it's actually the person making the cups of tea or hot chocolate. Yeah. And so, you know, in, in that environment, and I think, you know, and whether it's a startup environment or, or you know, in your, your large, you know, corporate environment that might have some more established um, processes, it, it's really important to focus on strengths and, and to focus on what people are good at and finding um, a place for those people, you know, like, like the person making the tea on the boat, right? You know, you, you wouldn't have thought when you're going to race across an ocean that you need someone to make tea overnight. But actually, you know, that is a really important thing. And and having, you know, I, I would sail, you know, quite quite frankly, I'd sail with that person over a better sailor, um, you know, in, in that particular situation. And and these are the types of decisions that that leaders have to make. They, they need to understand some of the requirements and they need to find people who who have some strengths which are complementary and and you know i think that plays back to you know to the themes of diversity and you know even in those entrepreneurial um you know organizations where you know there's a thousand ideas a minute and there's you know everyone you know the, the chief engineers sometimes you know opening the front door for visitors um there is a there is a place for 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 finding for, for people who are more process driven, you know, people who can help, you know, convert some of those great ideas into, into, into action. So, you know, I think, you know, in these contexts, it, it's about identifying people's strengths, communicating those strengths. And so when you're sitting around those tables, you know, saying, look, you know, this is what I'm good at. This is what I can bring to the team. This is what other people can bring to the team, having those discussions openly and honestly, so that, you know, when it comes to it, you know the the tasks or whatever it is that we're doing can can fall on those strengths, and you know the people who aren't strong in those areas aren't having to like crazily try and work out how to do things. It just moves to the person who's more natural in uh, in that that particular capability. Absolutely, and I think uh, that's why we also talk about uh, the SWOT analysis before you start working in your team. You can always go for that and understand the strengths, weaknesses of your own team members uh, so that it's not only about organizations, you can also do that for the team members uh, to understand what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are. And yeah, the only difference is we call them strengths and development areas, not weaknesses. That's the only, only, only small difference, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And my next question was related to uh, this only. We also talk about smart goals for uh, organizations and I think team-based working models are definitely a good foundation to achieve those smart goals you know in a timely manner in a specific manner you know the goals which are measurable and I think when you're working in a team you have somebody to delegate the tasks you have somebody to perform those tasks you have somebody to monitor those tasks so that's where you can also define smart goals how do you think smart goals is directly linked to a team-based working model well, that's uh, that's a great question because um, there's a lot of emerging research, including my own, uh, which looks at how goal setting influences mindsets. And so, the the short answer is that when you're setting smart goals, you need to be really, really careful, because anything to do with setting a goal, as I mentioned earlier, activates a, a fixed mindset, and fixed mindsets are not all bad. You know, there are there are certainly contexts where 
you know, goal seeking and relentless focus on achieving a goal it is an important aspect of, of, of any teamwork. But it's not always the case. And there are, you know, equally important uh, and perhaps even more important uh, contexts where you need to learn and you need to learn new things. And, and in those contexts where we don't really know exactly how to do something or we don't exactly know the way forwards, having a growth mindset is absolutely essential. And, and the thing is, is that, you know, what we're learning is that setting smart goals activates a fixed mindset. So teams who go into those situations where they need to learn, but then set a smart goal about it are inadvertently activating a fixed mindset. And that's actually detrimental to their success. So I'm not knocking smart goals. Uh, I think they have a great, uh, great part to play in, in teamwork. But what we need to help leaders understand is the impact of setting goals on, on people's mindsets, not, not just their own, but, but the teams that they're working with. And leaders need to get better at identifying the situations where they need to implement, in which case goals are great because that activates a fixed mindset and a results focus, and situations where they need to learn and in situations where they need to learn, they need to activate a growth mindset, and they need to do that by setting learning targets. You know, our, our target here is to learn how to be better at customer service. Our target here is to learn how to improve our quality. By setting learning goals, we actually activate a growth mindset. We get a raft of team-enabling, you know, problem-solving behaviors, which is the type of behaviors we want in those situations. Yeah, wonderful points, Professor. Uh, one of the last questions before we end today's podcast would be related to the examples uh, in the real life that we can see from those two points that you raised before, that is purpose, which is coming from strong leadership, and also diversity, which is coming by building diverse teams, multicultural teams, coming from different backgrounds, having different skill sets. Now, we know a lot of top companies such as Facebook, Google, Amazon, uh, Alibaba in China, these they, their leaders have strongly focused on having a very dedicated vision. Sorry to forget about Elon Musk recently, Tesla. So, you know, these are the leaders where which everyone looks at that we want to become leaders like them in the near future if we are running our organization or even if we are running our teams in an organization. Do you have any such examples or maybe you can elaborate on these examples that I sh just shared with you and link it to the uh, two points that you raised before of purpose and diversity. Sure, sure. Um, you know, I'll start with diversity. Um, uh, you know, I, I had a, a client once who had um, absolutely convinced themselves that they had outstanding customer service, um, absolutely outstanding customer service. And, you know, they, um, they built their whole business plan going forwards for the next three years based on this perception of outstanding customer service and um and anyway so we we came in and we we provided a, a different perspective um on, on that on that paradigm and actually what they believed to be outstanding customer service was actually actually very bad it was it was very poor customer service and it was because the way they measured um their customer service had um had some flaws in it which they didn't fix because they thought they had great customer service. And so if you think you're doing great, you wouldn't really look for a problem, right? So, so um, you know, I think that's a great example of, of, of diversity and having, you know, being open to different people coming in and having a look at your core processes. And, and what that meant was that 
um, we were able to focus on the poor customer service and make it a lot better. And so, you know, and that actually radically transformed their business um, for, 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 for the better. So, yeah, I think that's, that's an example of, you know, where being open to having different people come into your organization um, is, uh, is, is, is really important and, and being open to the new ideas that they bring. What, what was the other example you wanted to, to ask? Was that uh, SMART goals, was it? So diversity and purpose. Purpose, yeah. Um, purpose. Um, yeah, I, I think um, you know I, I've seen I've seen lots of um, examples of of, of 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 companies that you know forget what it is they're really here to do, and uh, you know one one example was. Um, um, this is this this company, and they were they were making uh, they were making paint. Um, it sounds pretty boring, but you know, uh, making paint is actually quite complicated. And you know, they had this um, uh, big production hall where they mixed up the paint from all the chemicals, and then they had a, another hall where they put the the paint into the cans. And these are big cans because the, the paint goes to the navy. They're painting, they're making paint for aircraft carriers essentially. Yeah. And um, anyway, so we're out there in the factory, and we're watching all this and listening to all this and there's all this whirring going on and lots of activity and all of a sudden everything stops mm. and I sort of said well why are we stopped and, and they said oh well we're, we stop every day around this time we're waiting for quality and so we're like looking at you know what's going on literally hundreds of people are just sat there doing nothing so we walk over to the quality department and say what are you doing they said oh we're doing a quality test you know and we can't put the paint in the cans until we passed the quality test and so and this test was was an hour long so hundreds of people are standing around like with their hands in their pockets waiting for an hour while we're waiting for this test and you know there are a couple of things going on but i can tell you one of them is as one of us asked the question how often do we fail this test and the answer was we've never failed the test so you know with that why aren't we just putting the paint in the cans right now? We can still do the test, right? We're not going to send it to the customers, but we're going to at least have 100 people not standing around for an hour. And I think that's the difference between, you know, a process and a purpose. And, and too often organizations get stuck in the process. You know, we must wait for quality you know, because that makes sense, right? You know, how, we have to put quality paint, in, paint into, the, into the cans. Um, but the purpose... The overall purpose is to run an efficient business and having a hundred people stand around doing nothing for an hour is not an efficient business. Now, you know, even if we failed that quality test one in a hundred times, which we don't yet, the worst thing that can happen is we have to put the paint from the cans back into the vats and fix it. Right. But the benefit is that 99 times out of a hundred, we've saved thousands and thousands of hours of labor. So yeah, keeping that view on what is our purpose here um, can help organizations break through some of these paradigms, break through some of the processes which are limiting their potential. Absolutely. And, you know, that's, that's really important to uh, define uh, the values that you have in your organization and also build those strong teams. That's what we have been talking about. And also retain those teams. You know, what's happened with Better Life recently um, the person just removed all the employees on a Zoom call. He called people on a Zoom call and then said that, uh, you know, you are not here. You will not be working. Yeah, 
me anymore. So kind of, I think retention uh, is very important. And before yeah. we end this podcast, I would definitely want to hear from you on that example as well, that when you are building those strong teams, it's also important for you to retain those members in difficult times so that those team members can actually value you as a leader when you need it the most. Yeah. Look, I, I talked about um, the ingredients for for team success, and and I, I there's there's probably two other things actually. I, I didn't talk about the expectations for the people within the teams, and there's a couple of um, expectations there. And the first one is really simple: for for people in a team, you really should put the team first. Yeah. So so what's important for the team is more important than what's important for me. Yeah. So that sometimes means that I have to compromise what I want to do because I want to do because I need to do what's best for the team and the team needs me to think like that. And that's an important sort of switch for for um, for people in a team. But for leaders, um, such as your example, you know, there's another concept which is, again, well-researched and well-established, and it's a concept of psychological safety. And that is how leaders react to information that comes from the people in their organisation. And, you know, the... the but a critical example is, you know, if someone says, you know, hey, I've got a problem, you know, are they listened to? Um, are they respected? Or are they kind of talked over and uh, ignored? And and so now even if that person putting their hand up with a problem is putting, you know, saying something stupid, yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. How leaders respond to that is really important to create psychological safety because if they respond in a way where they listen to their employees, and they're appreciative of employees bringing up those issues, they create psychological safety. And that means that future employees are so much more likely to actually bring forward ideas, bring forward problems that need to be addressed and help the organization on its journey. Um, in contrast, if that person brings up an idea and you know they're talked over or not listened to, then that doesn't create psychological safety. And that means that the likelihood that that person and their colleagues of bringing up new ideas actually drops, like it drops off a cliff. Um, and so the very thing that you want as a leader is ideas coming from your team um, on ways to do things differently um, doesn't happen anymore because of the way that you've reacted. So I, I would say that your example, um, you know, was well, well, well documented example of, you know, firing everyone on a Zoom call. I would say that that's not a great way to create psychological safety. And, you know, while I, you know, it might have been the best thing for that business at a time, but, you know, everyone knows that example now. So everyone working with that leader in the future, let's say that leader goes and starts up a new enterprise, everyone's going to have in the back of their head, well, hang on, this person sacked everyone on a Zoom call. That's not going to create psychological safety. That's going to create distrust. It's going to, it's not going to get the people within those future organizations are not going to bring up ideas. They're not going to bring up problems. They're not going to help. They're just going to sit there and they're going to wait for the boss. And that's never a good situation to be in. Well, these are the examples that uh, people can obviously listen to and it can act as a case study as well for university students and also for organizations to just take that as a lesson that you should obviously respect your employees and all the important points that we have discussed in this uh, session. So thank you so much, Professor Bradley, for joining us. I really appreciate your time uh, to join us today. And Thanks, I hope Robert. It's been a pleasure. It's been a delight. Good to also see you again. Another episode. Yes. Oh, thank you. Of course. Yes. Thank you and have a great day ahead. You too. You too.
This is an ultimate global podcast. Hello, and welcome to our special weekly podcast on trending international and social affairs. You're listening to Saurabh Kora and George Mavros from Sydney. 